so immense, so immense. And tonight we're going to talk about his love and the truth that you're worthy, that you are worthy of his love. Before we start, I have a testimony I'd like to share from last week. A lot of you know that we were in Florida last week. Um, We had a wonderful time. We drove Kent's mom to Florida, and then um, we spent several days there, and then we we flew home. And um, in the time that we were there, we met with two different churches and um, had some really good discussions and and, um, opportunities to go back in February and do some teaching in Florida. But at one of the churches, it turned into a healing meeting. It was really fun. We went to meet with the pastor's husband, and all of a sudden, the, the, one of the girls that used to go to Life, so the people from Life, um, um, Debbie um, 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 Kelly, I just drew a blank, Debbie and Brett Kelly. Uh, those of you who go to Life probably know them. But anyway, that's, who we, that's their church now. And so they were there and the pastor's wife, and then all of a sudden, they started bringing in all kinds of people. And they would say, this person has this, would you please pray? This person's dealing with this, would you please pray? So Kent and I and all of us in agreement prayed many for many things. And the Holy Spirit, oh, he was just, just precious, as he always is. But he was just powerfully moving. And I got a phone call. That was on Tuesday. On Thursday, I got a phone call. And one of the men that we had prayed for had um, uh, been tested for prostate cancer and Uh, He hadn't got the results yet, but he gave me enough information to say that there was definitely reason to suspect the cancer. So I don't know what was going on, but it was, I mean, he was, he was worried. He was very worried. So we prayed for this man. I got a call on Thursday from a man who was absolutely ecstatic. He said, it was negative. The report was negative. He was on cloud nine. And, he sa- and this is what he said, which was interesting. He said, I didn't expect that. Now, we teach to expect God's best. But this, this church that we're going to be ministering at doesn't, hasn't had that kind of um, teaching. So it's something new. So anyway, so this was on Thursday. And then when I'm on the phone, he said, I have somebody visiting me. It's, he said he's like a surrogate son to me. And he and his wife are visiting from Philadelphia. And he's been diagnosed with prostate cancer, testicular cancer, um, and it's, it's affected his pancreas. So bad report. The man is 40 years old, and he's just handsome, you know, handsome young man. And he said, is there any way we can meet? This was on Thursday, and we were flying home on Friday. So I said, well, you know, I'm trying to brainstorm how we can connect And we were flying out of Sarasota, and they're from near that area, which is a little ways from where Kent's mother lives. So we planned to meet in the airport. (laughs) So this is the first time healing meeting I've ever done in an airport. (laughs) It was awesome. So we connected. We had a certain time we were going to meet before we were going to fly out, and we're literally in the ticketing area of of the airport. But that's not a really busy area usually. And there was a bunch of chairs along the side. And so there were six of us. There was the man who was healed along with his wife, the man who has the bad report along with his wife, and Kent and I. And we we started ministering to them, started telling them about God's truth. Kent, thank goodness, had one of those little books in his backpack because he took it to Florida with him because I didn't have any with me. So we got that out of his backpack and gave it to the man. And we shared what God's word said and says. And then we prayed for him. And then he was getting ready to fly back to Philadelphia, and we were getting ready to fly back to Michigan. And, you know, just God just opened such an amazing door for us to minister to this man. While we were there, one of the things that we did was we shared testimonies. Tom, we shared your testimony. Doug, we shared your testimony. That's powerful. There's power in the testimony. It is a prophetic word. And as we shared about Tom's testimony, who was healed of testicular cancer, and Doug, who was healed of prostate cancer, and his, this other man, Paul, who got the good report from prostate cancer, this man came looking just defeated and full of fear. And we were able to give him hope and expectation of something other than what the doctor had for him. So it was pretty cool. Pretty cool, yeah. So God is in the business of meeting us wherever, <laughs> airports, <laughs> wherever. It's, it's awesome. 
Ken, do we need a little more light in here? It feels really dark to me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Would you please, if you do not have a handout that says claiming unworthiness, holding back the hand of healing. If you don't have a handout, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. Okay, we've got somebody over here. Okay. The last couple of weeks that, we've, that I've taught, we've been, teach, we've been talking about forgiveness. We've been talking about the amazing, completed work of the cross and the forgiveness that has been provided through Jesus and through his blood. We've been talking about the importance for us to forgive, for us to forgive others. And the last time that we got together, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit was so precious, so tender. And I believe, I really believe that there was freedom. People were set free from being held captive, holding on to things that maybe they didn't even realize they were holding on to as the Holy Spirit revealed things to them. Tonight we're going to talk about another piece that's critical, and that is forgiving yourself. That is in looking at yourself as worthy, the same way that Father God looks at you, because we are worthy. What we're going to look at, if you, I'm just going to give you a gist kind of of what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to look at Jesus in his ministry and how he treated the sinner, how he treated those who, according to the days of the, of this, of the day, the, the culture of this day, were very unworthy. They were sinners. We're going to look at what was accomplished through Jesus' death and resurrection. And then we're going to talk about the love of God. So that's where we're going to go tonight. So first of all, would you open your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. We're going to look at two or three different instances where Jesus ministered to people who were very, you know, big-time sinners. So this is John chapter 8. Father God, I just pray right now over this teaching. I pray over this word. And Father, I pray that you just anoint me to share what you have for me to share, to share your heart, to share your truth, to share your love, to share your plan for your people. And I pray for hearts, Father God. I pray for hearts that, that let go of condemnation, that let go of anything that they're holding on to against themselves and forgive. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 8, starting with verse 2. This is about the adulteress. Okay. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in their midst, they said to him, Teacher, that woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's our Jesus. At the beginning of this scripture, it talks about the Pharisees and the scribes coming and presenting the law. Now, Jesus was a Jew, and he knew the law. And that's true. That was the law of Moses. But Jesus came with something better. Jesus came to provide for us 
no condemnation. He came to provide for us the, the, the freedom to be without guilt, the freedom to receive his grace. And that's what he did right here. This is even before he shed his blood for us. He said no to the law. And he said, I don't condemn you either. At the end of the scripture, near the end, it says, um, he asked the woman after everybody left because they all had sin. And Jesus had said those, the first of you who doesn't have sin, go ahead. But they all did. So they left one by one. And then Jesus said, where are those accusers of yours? That word accusers is the name given to the devil by the rabbis. So the word is kategoros. And that word, that Greek word, is the word given to the devil by the rabbis. Satan, the name, the, the, the Satan, his name, means accuser. It's another name for Satan, is the accuser. The accuser, the enemy, never talks about your good points. He's there to present for you all of your failures and to show you evidence of your failures. You see, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the accuser is the one that points out your failures, not your good, not your heart. He points out the evidence, the proof of your failures, the proof or the evidence of your sin. And that's what Jesus was saying. Where are the accusers? She says, there's nobody here. Nobody's left. And he said, neither do I accuse you. Jesus isn't an accuser. That's not who he is. He acquitted her. He canceled out the offense. It's not that she didn't have an offense, but he acquitted her of the offense. He set her free of the charge. What I want to show you through the, these several scriptures, and there are a lot of them, I'll refer to some of them that I, we don't have time to read. But that's our Jesus. He's the Jesus of no condemnation. The next scripture is Matthew chapter 9. Will you turn there with me? Matthew 9. Jesus did not condemn her. He said, no, I don't condemn you either. He was the only one without sin. He was the only one that could have thrown a stone according to the law. Matthew chapter 9. This is about Matthew. Matthew wrote one of the Gospels, and this is about when he was called to be a disciple, to be one of Jesus' 12 disciples or apostles. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Before I go any further, I want to tell you about the tax collectors. The tax collectors of the day were lumped together with sinners, harlots, Gentiles. They were, the tax collectors, were as offensive to the Jews for their um, uh, economic and social practices as lepers were for their uncleanness. They were seen as just scum because of their social and economic practices they were excluded from the people of god in the jewish culture the tax collectors were dirt because of their 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 very um unethical practices they were not considered children of god and this is what jesus did jesus went from there and he saw this matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth because he was a tax collector what did jesus say Follow me. He said, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, here we go again, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the legalists. The Pharisees were the ones that knew and lived and abided by the outward laws. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. 
I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus came. The people that he called to be his 12 closest disciples were sinners, tax collectors. They weren't the Pharisees. They weren't the scribes. And he said, come and follow me. I want you to be part of of what I'm birthing here in the world, in this church that's coming. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy is goodwill toward the miserable and the afflicted and a desire to help them. Jesus desired help for those who were miserable, help for those who were afflicted. That's what Jesus wanted. That's our Jesus. Now think of that in the perspective of you sitting right here, right now. Jesus called the tax collector. Jesus said no condemnation to the adulterer. Let's look at another example. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 7? Romans 7. Oops, sorry. I was on the wrong page. Luke. We're going to go to Romans 7 in a minute. Luke 23. This is at Jesus' crucifixion. Starting with verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive just or due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. So the the men, the two men that were crucified with Jesus deserved the death penalty. Jesus didn't. Jesus hadn't done anything to deserve it. One One of the men was still blaspheming Jesus, but the other one was humbling himself. And he said, We deserve this, but he doesn't. And then he said, Lord, he called Jesus Lord. He acknowledged him as Lord. That's what we do when we declare our belief in Jesus. We acknowledge him as our Savior and as our Lord. We acknowledge who he is and what he did for us. And that's what this man did. And Jesus said today, you'll be with me in paradise. No condemnation. No condemnation. He used one word, Lord, one word, and Jesus received him into the eternal paradise, into eternal eternity with him. Um, the next scripture I'd like to look at is Matthew 26. In fact, I need you to open your Bibles to two different um, books, Matthew 26 and John 21. Matthew 26 and John 21. Give you just a second to get there. And while you're getting there, I'm just going to tell you, this is the account of Peter's denial of Jesus. In the book of Matthew, it talks about Peter. It talks about um, what he did when Jesus talked to him and how he said, yes, I I will be with you forever. I'll die with you. And then, and that's what's in the book of, of Matthew. But then when we get to the book of John, we're going to look at Jesus restoring Peter after he, raised him, after he was raised from the dead. So Matthew 26, and starting with verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, You will all be offended and stumble and fall away because of me this night distrusting and and deserting me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up to life again, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter declared to him, though they all are offended and stumble and fall away because of you and distrust and desert you, I will never do so. 
Jesus said to him, Solemnly I declare to you, this very night before a single rooster crows, you will deny and disown me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny or disown you. And all the disciples said the same thing. So Peter emphatically said, No, Jesus, I won't stumble. I won't be offended no matter what. No matter what, I will not. I will die with you if I have to. Let's look at the end of the chapter, starting with verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I, don't know, I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him, And said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear. Saying, I do not know the man. When I read that last year, I was studying for this lesson. And to think the same Peter, the Peter that had been with Jesus during his ministry, seen all of the miracles, been with him at, um, uh, at the, the triumphal entry and praised and worshipped and, and known Jesus as the Son of God. And then he declared emphatically, I will never, I'll die for you. And now, a few hours later, he's cursing and swearing. How many of you have been in that place where you love the Lord so much? You love God. You're living your life for God. And you lose it. Maybe you curse and you swear. That's what Peter did. And then, and then after the, the crow, the rooster crowed like Jesus prophesied, Peter remembered the words of Jesus who said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so he went out and wept bitterly. He was so broken. The Jesus who he loved, he had denied. He had not only denied, he had lost it. He had cursed, he had sworn, probably because he was petrified for his own life. But look at what Jesus does. Go to John 21. You're already there. I have to turn really quick because I lost my place. John 21, starting with verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, same Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. Then Jesus said to Peter a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. He was restoring Peter. Peter had denied him three times. And Jesus asked him three times to to declare his love for him and to restore that place for Peter, not for God, not for Jesus. Jesus knew he loved him. Jesus had already paid the price. It was done. He was worthy. But he wanted Peter to know he was worthy. He wanted Peter to be that in that place of knowing there was no condemnation. He didn't ask Peter. He didn't say, I told you so. I told you you were going to deny me. Jesus never said that to Peter. But what he did say to Peter was just acknowledge his love. And it was done in such a, a tender, loving way. And then he gave him his church. He said, tend my sheep, feed my flock. He didn't say, you're not good enough. You cursed and you swore. No way am I going to let you feed my sheep and tend my flock. No, he gave that to Peter, just like he does to you and me. That's what he says to us. Go, feed my flock. Go, 
preach my word. Go lay hands on my sick so that they can be healed. I love my kids. I need you. That's what he did when Peter messed up so bad. That's what he did. Now, there are so many more examples. When you read the gospel accounts, look at, look for what I'm talking about tonight. Look for those who aren't worthy. The woman at the well, the Samaritan, Jesus stopped and talked to her. He wasn't supposed to talk to the Samaritan woman. She wasn't even supposed to be there at that time of the day. But he did. And he prophesied and he, and he said, you know, you, you don't, you're not just here, um, you know, with, with, because of your husband. You had four husbands and now you're not married. And because of the words that he shared, she chose to go and tell everybody about this man. And they all came back and, and came to know Jesus themselves. There was the man at the pool of Bethesda who had been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus healed him. He didn't, the man didn't even ask to be healed. Jesus said, do you want to be well? He said, yes. He said, well, then get up. Take your mat and walk. And then later, later, after everything was stirred up because Jesus healed on the Sabbath and everything was going crazy there, later Jesus came back to him and said, sin no more. But first, he healed him. No condemnation. That's who our Jesus is. He's the God of no condemnation. So the second thing I'd like to cover tonight is what then, when did this happen? When did this no condemnation happen? And we've already covered this in great detail, so we're just going to kind of touch on it. But we're going to talk again about the blood of Jesus and the grace that was provided through his precious blood. The little um, uh, heading on your paper says, what was the result of the atonement of Jesus' death? I would like to share something with you, if I can find my, here it is, my notes. Um, The word atonement, the word atonement, I want to make a clarification. You may even want to change that, that little box and change the word. The word atonement was used in the Bible Um, in the Old Testament, 69 times. The word atonement was used in the Old Testament 69 times. And that word atonement um, means to cover, to cover sin, not to take away sin. The word atonement meant to cover sin. And if you know about the sacrificial system, you know that they killed the, the animals to sacrifice them to cover the sins of the people. But it didn't take away the sins. Now, it was used in, in the Old Testament. There's lots of writing about the sacrificial system and the atonement. But in the New Testament, that word is only used once. And in my Bible, it's not even translated atonement. It's translated reconciliation. In the New King James, I'm sorry, in the Old King James, it does say atonement. So when you go to a concordance, there is once in the New Testament that it says atonement. The point I want to make is that atonement doesn't cover sin in the New Testament. What Jesus did, what Jesus did with his blood, with his sacrifice, wasn't like the old sacrificial system. In the New Testament, through Jesus, that sin was eliminated. Our sin was eliminated his blood completed the sacrifice completely jesus's blood finished it he said it's finished once and for all once and for all so would you go with me to romans chapter 5 and we're going to look at the scripture where it the one time where it's in there Romans chapter 5. And it's verse 11. In fact, I'm going to start with verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The word saved is sozo. We we shall be sozoed. 
saved, healed, and delivered by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. That word reconciliation is the only time atonement, the Greek word for atonement is used in the New Testament. It's the only time it's used ever. And it doesn't say atonement. It says reconciliation. Reconciliation between God and man. We are reconciled. There's no more separation. We're restored to favor. Another meaning of that word is reparation. Repaired. Reparation for offense or injury. Repairing. Fixing it. Payment of damages. Done. Giving satisfaction for a wrong or injury. It was all completed through Jesus. It was completely done. In the old sacrificial system, they had to do it over and over and over again because sin was just covered. But Jesus, once and for all, paid the penalty so that we could be reconciled to him. Okay, bottom line, today's message. We have been reconciled with God. We are now in complete uh, unity with him. There's no separation because of his blood. Nothing you can do or I can do can separate us from him if we have received him as our Lord and as our Savior. Unworthiness is no longer. It is a thing of the past. Condemnation is a thing of the past. Old Testament. We're now living under the new covenant, under the New Testament. So let's look at this scripture that's in your notes. Romans 6, 5, 16. You're already open to it. Nor is the free gift, this is what we're talking about, the atonement, the reconciliation, nor is the free gift at all to be compared to the effect of that one man's sin. For the sentence following the trespass of one man brought condemnation. There's condemnation. Whereas the free gift following many transgressions brings justification an act of righteousness. So with the fall of man, yes, condemnation did come. Condemnation is unworthiness. Condemnation is a damnatory sentence. Guilty. Guilty as charged. And there's no way that we couldn't be guilty because we had, we had a sin nature. Justification is what happened with Jesus' death. We became justified. It was another judicial decision, but it's a positive one. It's a favorable judgment. It says not guilty. It says we're acquitted. We're acceptable. We're worthy. We're worthy. We're worthy. The next slide is just a, a, just a, a statement that is really powerful. We don't have to do anything. We can't do anything to be in that position of righteousness. Righteousness is not right is not right doing, but it's right standing before God because of your right believing. And what is your right believing? What is what is that? God's truth about what? Yeah, and about salvation, right? About just believe. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe that he did come and live and die and, be, and he was re- resurrected from the dead so that we could have this gift. And then it's ours. If we believe in Jesus, there's only one way, only one way, and it's Jesus. Elise, did you want to say something? Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. And it is present tense. It is today. That's really good. Past tense, Old Testament, done, finished for believers. Present tense, forever. Past, present, future sin. We're done with condemnation. It is no longer any part of us. Romans 8. Turn two chapters over and let's read this one together. Romans 8, verse 1 and 2.
Romans 8, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Which one is up there? That's the Amplified. Okay, we'll read Amplified. I'll switch over. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no adjudging guilty of wrong for, for those who are in Christ Jesus, who live and walk, not after the dictates of the flesh, but after the dictates of the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being has freed me from the law of sin and death. Amen. There is there now no condemnation for those who know Jesus. No condemnation. There is no condemnation. We're worthy because of Jesus. We have been freed from the law of sin and death. And we now live under the law of the spirit of life, the fullness of life. The power in the Old Testament was the power of sin. The power in the New Testament is the power of love. The power of love has freed us from the power of sin. The power of God's love has freed us from the power of sin. But we have to receive his love. That's why I wanted to worship him with that song at the beginning about his love. The amazing love that he has for us. The next scripture we're going to read from the message. So I, you don't need to turn there because it's very much different probably than your translation. But I love this, this little section of scripture. It just, I think we've all been in this place that Paul is in when he wrote this where he's like, I've tried everything. I, I keep messing up. <laughs> We all do. It doesn't matter. We all have those times where we, 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 we know what's right and we mess up. But it doesn't matter. We are still in that position of righteousness. We are still in that place of no condemnation. Look at what this says. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. That unworthiness thing is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. That's unworthiness, that continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. Tyranny is being under control we're not under control of sin we have dominion over sin amen the power of love has freed us from the power of sin the power of life in christ has freed us from the power of sin and the way this scripture um is is phrased it says that it literally like a strong wind has taken away that cloud it's no longer there unless you buy the lie today a truth is being shared with you. Truth replaces lies and sets you free. So, we saw how Jesus lovingly forgave and healed the sinners. We looked at the, the um, effect of the reconciliation with Jesus' death. And how there is no more condemnation. That we are now justified. We, in past tense, past tense, it was condemnation before Jesus and before we received Jesus. But now, present tense, we have life. The next point is receiving it. 
Do you know you are loved by God? We're still in Romans 8, starting with verse 15. For the spirit which you have now received is not a spirit of slavery to put you once more in bondage to fear. Okay, so this, this spirit of life, the power of love, will not put you in that position of unworthiness or slavery or bondage. But you have received the spirit of adoption, the spirit producing sonship or daughtership, in the bliss of which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself thus testifies together with our own spirit, assuring us that we are children of God. And if we are his children, then we are his heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. Oh boy, that's good news. In the middle of this scripture, it says we have this position of sonship or daughtership. We are his kids. We are his children with his inheritance. And it says, as we receive that in the bliss, in the, uh, the, uh, the awe, the awe of the gift of being the child of the living God, we cry, Abba, Father, Abba. That term for Father God is the term that Jesus used. That is a term of endearment. It is a very um, intimate name. It, It holds with it deep emotion and warmth. In our language... The closest words that we could put with that are daddy or papa. Daddy or papa. The reason I'm getting kind of emotional right now is because our son just left today, the one who has the father of our grandson, he calls himself papa to his child. And we've never called ourselves papa. I don't know where he came up with that. That's what he chose to call himself to his son. And when he talks to him, he calls him son. He says, hi, son, how are you? And he said, and then when he refers to himself, he calls himself Papa. And I've talked to him about this. He didn't know this. Chad didn't know that the term Abba is Papa or Daddy. And yet he loves his little, and I see that in front of my face. I see my son loving his son and, and, and the depth of this term is, is, played out in front of me. That is who our Father is. That's who he is to us. That amazingly loving, close person in our lives. It's a big deal. But maybe you don't know him that way. And that's why I want to take a minute to talk about this character of God. I wrote in my notes, and I've got it highlighted, that Father God is more than unconditional love. Yes, his love is boundless. Yes, it's unfathomable. Yes, it's the highest summit in the greatest degree. Yes, but it's more. My son loves his son so deeply, but it's more. He wants to provide for his son. He wants to protect his son. He wants to do everything that he can possibly do to make his son happy. He wants to be with his son. It's more. It's even more than just unconditional love. A few years ago, I was, um, I was talking to Pastor Tracy. Uh, Pastor Tracy is one of the pastors at Life Christian Church. And... I was talking to her about a specific um, person I was ministering to. And out of the blue, she stopped the train of thought or conversation we were having. And she said, Cindy, I have a question for you. And she said, what kind of a relationship do you have with your father? And I said, well, I said, my family is really, really close. My whole family, 
I've got a very close relationship with my father, my mom, all my siblings. We're really a close family. They're very loving. My parents are very loving to each other. They always have been very affectionate towards one another and towards us, you know. And Pastor Tracy said to me, she said, I knew that. And I said, well, why? She said, because you know the love of God. I can tell that you know the love of Abba. And one of the reasons is because I've had a very healthy relationship with my father. And I know in the natural the love of a father, the healthy, good love of a father. The reason I'm saying this is because if you don't have that kind of a relationship with your father on earth, maybe you've never known him. Maybe, he, maybe you never had a father. Maybe you had just a mama, you know, and, you, and your father wasn't a part of your life. But whatever the case, if you haven't had a healthy relationship, it may be hard for you to receive the love of Father God because you don't have anything in the, in the earthly realm to compare it with. But that doesn't mean it's not possible. That doesn't mean it's not possible. Pastor Tracy, when she was talking to me, uh, the conversation went on. Her father, her earthly father, was not that kind of a loving father. And she went through a, a time of her life where she was very, very hurt, very um, broken, very broken. And God showed her that she needed to receive his love. And this is how she did it. She started meditating on the love of God. She went to the Bible and she found scriptures about God's love for us. Like some of the scripture we've, scriptures we've already talked about. Like the one in Ephesians that talks about how great his love is. And how high and how wide and how deep. And There's a lot of amazing scriptures about the love of God. And she took scriptures about his love and she started meditating on them. And she started speaking them out loud. She started making them personal and putting her name in there, putting herself in those scriptures. And as she did that, she began to have heart knowledge about the love of God. And then she was healed of the brokenness. It was a process. It was a long process. But in that process, she was healed of her broken heart because she came to know the love of the Father. So let's look at one of those scriptures about the amazing love of God. We're still in Romans chapter 5. This scripture is about the demonstration of God's love. In the natural, you can have somebody tell you they love you, like my husband, and like many of you, have somebody that tells you that they love you. You might feel their love. They're especially, I mean, I love my husband dearly, but at the beginning of a relationship, there's a whole lot of emotions, very strong, strong emotions that go with that. So there's emotions of love. There's words of love, but there's also demonstrations of love. And that's what this scripture shows us. It demonstrates God's love for us. Romans 5, starting with verse 6. You see... At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love for us through the death of his son. And the next scripture is, a, again, a message Bible scripture, so you can just read it from the screen. Another beautiful scripture that shows the demonstration of Abba's love for us. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, 
Is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare to even point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of that phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Nothing, nothing can get in the way, including the worst sins. The worst sins, that will not drive a wedge between you and God because you're worthy. Because that is no longer a separating factor. It's gone. It's been eliminated. So unworthiness or condemnation cannot get in the way of God's love unless we let it. And that's the last point I'm going to make. But before I do that, I would like to show you God's love for you. In your in your handout, there is a... a sheet this is similar to what pastor tracy did when she was needing healing of a broken heart and she didn't know the love of a father she didn't know the love of her earthly father and she didn't know abba father's love personally she didn't this is a pastor guys she didn't know abba's love personally and this is what she did to come to know his love so that she could receive healing for her broken heart. These are paraphrased scriptures. The reference is here. This is from, you probably many of you have heard of it. It's called the Father's Love Letter. You can go online. There's, this is the majority of it. I, may, I think that I left a couple of the scriptures out. But these are just scriptures, paraphrases of God's word for you to tell you about his love for you. So right now, I just want to take one minute to read this with you. And we're just going to declare his love for us. This is something that you can do on your own and just meditate on his love for you. So let's read it together. Father, you love me. I receive your unconditional love. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me together in my mother's womb and brought me forth on the day I was born. It is your desire to lavish your love on me, simply because I am your child and you are my father. You offer me more than my earthly father ever could, for you are the perfect father. You love me with an everlasting love. You are my greatest encourager. You care for me affectionately, and you care for me watchfully. You are the Father who comforts me in all my troubles. When I am brokenhearted, you are close to me. As a shepherd carries a lamb, you have carried me close to your heart. You are my Father, and you love me even as you love your Son, Jesus. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of your love for me. If I receive the gift of your son Jesus, I receive you. And nothing will ever separate me from your love again. Father, you love me. I receive your unconditional love. Amen. Mm. I would like to just take a moment before we go to our last point here and just pray a special prayer for those of us who are in a place where we didn't know our Father's love. 
where we didn't have a good example of love. I just want to pray for you right now. So, Father God, we come before you right now. And we bring to you the the burden on our heart that comes from not knowing the love of a father. Not knowing the intimacy of a father that loves without anything attached. I pray, Father, for those who had fathers that were not part of their lives or who weren't present to take care of the needs of the children. I pray, Father God, for those who who didn't have a father to protect them. I pray, Father, for those who didn't have a father to provide. I pray, Father God, for those who didn't have a father to spend time with them. I pray, Father God, to those who didn't have a father to talk to them or to listen to them or to guide them and help them. I pray, Father God, for those who had fathers that, that were um, uh, harsh, angry, and not affectionate. I pray, Father, for those who, of us who didn't have fathers who showed affection. I pray, Father, for those who didn't have fathers that said, I love you. I just bring this to you, Father God. And I renounce the lie, God, that you are anything like that. And I declare that you are the God who loves well. That you are the God who protects us and provides for us. And talks to us and listens to us and guides us. You are the God who wraps your arms around us and holds us close to your heart. I pray right now, Father, that the revelation, the deep revelation of that love is awakened or reawakened in the very depth of our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, this is the last point I'm going to make tonight, but it's a big one. Would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 2? Jesus died to reconcile us to God. He died so that we would be in that place of right standing and that there would be nothing to separate us from him ever again. But Galatians chapter 2, starting with verse 20, says this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. I do not ignore or say no Or turn away from the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Jesus paid the price for a purpose. And it was with love. An immense love. So that we would have reconciliation and there would be no separation. But if we choose... To, be, to stay in that place of saying, I'm not worthy, then Jesus died in vain. If we say, I have, I'm a sinner, I am not good enough, there's no way that Jesus can love me, 
then Jesus died in vain because we're not receiving the benefits of his death and resurrection. If we say that, okay, God, you're really good, and when I get myself good enough by whatever, then, then, then I'll receive the benefits of your death. If we do that, then Jesus died in vain. That's what the scripture says. If we, if we don't accept the grace of God, if we still live by the law, then Jesus died in vain. How many of you have seen the movie The Passion? The Passion of the Christ. Yeah. We saw what Jesus went through. He didn't die in vain for me. When I watched that movie, I made myself watch it. I wouldn't close my eyes. And Kent knows I won't watch anything. I mean, I've got my eyes covered half the time when I watch anything because I hate anything with blood and gore. But I wouldn't close my eyes. And every time I saw Jesus whipped or a nail go through his hand, I said, by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. He did that for me. He didn't die in vain. I receive that grace. I receive that gift. Now there's one more. One more piece I want to share before we pray. The prayer that's on your sheet. If we buy the enemy's lie that we're unworthy of forgiveness, it's actually a subtle form of pride. It's actually a form of false humility. If we say, I'm not worthy, I can't receive that, it's a form of pride. If we say, I am not good enough, Jesus, I am not good enough, we're focusing on us. And it's a subtle form of pride. It's much more difficult to humbly receive forgiveness that we don't deserve. That's what grace is. It's unmerited. It's much more difficult to humbly receive forgiveness when we have really been lousy than to walk in false humility. It's easier to be falsely humble and say, I don't deserve that, than it is to say, I don't deserve it, God, but I'm going to receive it from you. When we receive forgiveness, when we receive it, then the one who gave it is honored. When we receive the grace of God, then God is honored. God is not honored when we deny what Jesus did for us. He's not honored when we recall and live under the influence of yesterday's sin. Jesus bought you with a price. And he wants you to receive it. Embrace your forgiveness. Embrace your forgiveness. Receive it. I am overwhelmed with awe. And I, my heart, my heart is just, oh, just so wanting everyone that hears this message, whether you're here or whether you're, you know, listening online, that you know that Jesus paid the price for you and that you receive it in full. So we're going to read um, a scripture and then a declaration, and this is how we're going to close. The scripture is Ephesians 3, verse 17 through 19. We're going to read this together. This is a prayer that we can pray for ourselves to come to know the love of our God more and more and more. So let's read this together. May God grant me, according to the riches of his glory, 
to be strengthened with might through his spirit in my inner man, that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith, that I, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that I may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now let's make this last declaration. I'm going to go to the next slide. I am worthy of God's love and his forgiveness and his healing because I am his child, not because of anything I've done, not because of anything I've earned, but because of the shed blood of the Lamb of Christ poured out in love for me, I receive his love gift. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Can't you can go ahead and get the music ready? I thank you, Jesus, for the gift of grace. I thank you, Jesus, for your love. And I thank you, Father, for revealing your truth. I pray that that truth, that truth takes the place of the lie of unworthiness, that your truth of grace, that your truth of love, that your truth of the fullness of Jesus's gift takes the place of any condemnation that we've been holding on to. That's a lie. That's a lie of the enemy. And I pray, Father God, that the truth replaces the lie and sets us free, sets us free to receive everything that you have for us. Friends, he doesn't just forgive. He forgives for a purpose. He forgives to give you the abundance of life that Jesus came to provide, including healing, including wholeness. I pray right now for hearts wide open to receive everything that you have for them, Father. Hearts wide open to receive. In Jesus' name.